are listening to Perlustration, a podcast where we dive deep into cinematic universes. This episode, we are discussing Thor, the Dark World, directed by Alan Taylor. Spoiler warning for this movie and the first seven MCU films. We will try not to spoil any future movies or any future plot points. Lucas, what do you think of Thor 2? I like it. Uh, it's not among my favorites, um, ranking pretty lowly in the preseason rankings. However, upon these uh, past two weeks rewatching it, you know, studying up for, for this recording, I, I kind of like it a lot. There's a lot of good humor in it, some pretty good action, and all in all, uh, pretty important in the universe, let's say. Especially if you include that first post credit scene. Yes. It really reveals a lot. I'll just jump in and say that I very much enjoyed this movie, and I think I enjoyed it because so much of it took place off of Earth. Yeah. And I really liked exploring the greater galaxy and the nine realms. We've spent a lot of time on Earth with S.H.I.E.L.D. and with the government and all of that minutia. It was fun to almost be in a fantasy-like story for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, agreed. We also get a nice reappearance of the beast from Jotunheim <laughs> yeah. that they fought. And not that specific one, but one of that species. Yeah, the, the giant dog thing. Right. I think this one was smaller than the, than the previous one. So maybe this one's like a puppy. It was very cute. So <laughs> maybe it was more very, puppy-like. Yeah, cute in a giant terrifying monster kind of way. Yeah, yeah, in the same way that like a, a shark can be cute. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked the sound design in this one. I know we talked about that with the first Thor movie, but just all of the aircraft mm -hmm. and all the technology on Asgard and that the Dark Elves use, it all has to be designed out of somebody's imagination. So shout out to the sound team there for this film. I really enjoyed it and i thought it brought these alien worlds into reality yeah asgard has to walk that fine line between magic and science or technology and i think um specifically when like jane is on the table and they're scanning her on asgard and she's like is that a quantum whatever and they're like no it's a soul forge and but the sounds that are happening while they're doing that are like kind of computer keyboard click clacky type noises but also this you know, magical kind of... There's almost a sparkle to it. Yes, sparkle. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and that's that's everywhere in the movie. Anytime, you know, you get the regular war-type sound with swords and shields clashing, but then you also get laser beams and, uh, you know, magic stuff. Plus, we get the awesome sound of Mjolnir. I do love that light ringing. It's always a encouraging sound when you hear it. Mm-hmm couple other things i want to touch on before we get into our six stones we get a quick appearance from steve our buddy steve rogers yeah when loki is changing his forms when thor springs him from jail and then i want to just uh shout out chris hem chris hemsworth's wig or hair looks much better in this than it did in the avengers so shout out to <laughs> makeup and wardrobe i didn't even notice that i know his hair is definitely longer in this movie it does have some length. Hanging down past the shoulders. It's pretty nice. It does look nice. What I want to know is how he keeps it like together in battle. You know, when he's 
he he storms in on the Bifrost and jumps in the air and slams the lightning down. It's just like not in his face at all. Must be that Asgardian magic. Yeah, that's what I would attribute it to. Kind of in the same way that Superman's hair always looks perfect, even though he's flying at supersonic speeds. And that's just how superheroes are, right? Their hair is nice. Yep. Well, let's uh, hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll get into our six stones. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They're ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. Their soft cooler line includes the Trooper 30 Cooler Backpack. It has a roll-top closure and air valve technology, allowing you to add or remove air to maximize performance. The inner liner is antimicrobial, which means it resists mold and mildew and all those nasty things you don't want. It also has ultra-comfortable backpack straps, making it easy to bring anywhere. All Mammoth Coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com, that's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order. Use the promo code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Make sure you use that code to let Mammoth know you came from us. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, welcome back. Our six stones. Our first stone here, appropriately, is an infinity stone. Although it is the second one that we're aware of. True, but this is the first time we hear the word or you know we hear it called infinity stone it is i'm excited that i feel i'm a little bit more on the on the in yep i feel like i know what i'm talking about a little bit here but let's just go into the ether a little bit it's extremely powerful it seems to almost have a mind of its own Mm -hmm. and when odin is talking about it he frames it to be on par you know with the most powerful things that we're aware of so what, what can you tell us about the ether without giving too much away? The the ether is, well, first, it's not technically a stone, right? It's this weird fluid-like material that kind of floats around. And they, they describe it in this movie as, as almost parasitic, where it, it seeks out a host in order to focus or harness its power. Mm-hmm. There are some, some accounts that uh, it was actually created as a weapon by Malekith, but... Um, I think more appropriately, it's he more found it and wanted to use it as a weapon um, rather than creating it himself. Ether is one of the remnants of the singularity that predates the universe. Um, so it's been around at least as long as the Dark Elves themselves, uh, which we know from Odin, are from before the universe as we know it. And they are the oldest species alive. And that's why they would probably know about the ether because it, it exists at the same time and malekith the leader of the dark elves has always been hunting the ether to to use it as a weapon um and then when he's defeated five thousand years ago um he is only then awakened again when the ether is awakened similar to how the tesseract alerts other parties that stuff's going down understood and one more thing that i would mention here about the ether that i thought was pretty fascinating was its connection to the host also directly influenced who was affected when the host was touched. Like Thor could touch Jane when she was infected because Jane trusts Thor. He's not a threat. Right. And anybody who was a threat to Jane, the ether would react accordingly. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you see it that way uh, because I see it the same way. I've heard people complain that it's convenient, you know, that or it's either convenient for the sake of the story or a like plot hole. Yeah, totally. That's the way I read it as well. Good. Well, let's get to our second stone here. It itself is not an infinity stone to my knowledge, <laughs> but it is <laughs> it is Loki being Loki. Yeah. Goodness, do I love this guy. I think my unofficial top three favorite MCU characters so far are Agent Carter, Black Widow, and Loki. I'm not sure where they are relative to each other, but I think they're you know, top tier and everybody else is below. I really, really like the character Loki. I think he brings a lot to these films. Same. I, I think he's, he's among my top as well. Uh, and he, whenever he's on screen, it's just always fun, even when he's being menacing. But like, he's just such a, a powerful character that he just steals the show. Absolutely. And he stays true to his character. Always. I really liked that they didn't have him become a quote-unquote good guy in this one i like that no he's not trustworthy he's going to try to you know betray them at some point despite everybody's threats to him right. you know what's going to happen and i i really like that it played out that way speaking of being true to character they the characters the other characters in the show also expect him to act a certain way uh, which is why they are able to tentatively trust him to help out on this mission because Thor knows how Loki felt about Frigga, their mother, and how that he would want vengeance. And at least that motivation could help them achieve a goal despite the risks that Loki poses of betrayal. For sure. I want to just talk about a couple Loki moments. Him casually reading during the jailbreak. <laughs> just yep. chef's kiss. And he's throwing fastballs as soon as Thor springs him from jail. You know, they have their little plan where they're flying the alien ship and they toss him out. And it was just a distraction. He's like, hey, you lied to me. I'm impressed. Every interaction with Thor and Loki is, in this movie, it's especially apparent that um, that they're brothers and sometimes uh, behave childishly with each other. Like when they're in the plane and uh, trying to fly it and Thor's like smashing things and loki's like just press it don't don't smash it and thor's like i am pressing it <laughs> it's it, you really get the sense that they're just bickering brothers in that moment and can maybe ignore the fact that you know loki kills a bunch of people yeah well not ignore it but yeah take it under consideration they even have that moment where they're bickering after they escape and Thor is like, what would mother think? And then Loki's like, would she even be surprised or something along those exactly. lines? Yeah. Yeah. Clearly brothers with a brother-like relationship that has some extra drama built around it. And, and you really get the emotional connection between them, despite the fact that they constantly fight and they don't agree on a lot of things, but when loki dies it's it's a powerful moment for thor and well for both of them you can see on loki's face you know the appearance of maybe a hint of regret and you know he gives his he, de he delivers his line i didn't do it for him um referring to odin and like thor obviously very upset after that um but their time on screen really sells the story that they are brothers despite what we learned in the first Thor movie about Loki being adopted or whatever. 
Yeah, Loki of Jotunheim, as yeah. he refers to himself. Yeah. And also, he doesn't say father anymore. He just refers to him as Odin, which I thought was poignant as well. But speaking of Odin and Loki and the Dark Elves, our third stone is how they doubled down on the lore. We talked about this in our viewing of the first Thor movie, how it didn't shy away from the you know the Mjolnir's and the Dark Elves. Sif and the Warriors Three mm-hmm. and all of this you know as you say magic the convergence right the convergence and now in this mm-hmm. film yeah we also get the wormholes and they aren't fully explained but they explain enough that you understand how they work yeah and i just really like that this film and the thor franchise it seems in general doesn't shy away from its own mythology yeah and i think part of you know what you said in the beginning that you enjoyed the most about this movie is that it takes place not on earth and i think that the filmmakers definitely took the opportunity or have taken the opportunity in the Thor series so far to explore the non-Earth parts of the MCU. And, you know, if we're not on Earth, then we're not in quote-unquote real life. So they, they have to bring in a lot of the of the outside mythology and it works. It, you know, there's a lot going on in this movie and they explain, I, I think they explain things as well as they need to. Um, and with just enough that makes me want to go like read up outside of the movie, you know? I agree. You know, they have some heavy lifting to do at the very beginning of the film. It's not always great to start your film with narration, and but they have Anthony Hopkins doing it, yeah. so it's not really a problem. <laughs> it's never bad when it's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Precisely. But then they also give, you know, Selvig that scene where he's in the mental ward and he's explaining to the other patients there basically what's going on it's more for us the audience than for the patients there yeah but of course. it's a very nice seamless way to get a bunch of exposition across yeah it's also our uh, stanley cameo in this movie it is and then the other scenes where they explained a lot was when the dark elves were talking to each other and they made a language for them which again i loved that they weren't speaking english yeah it just, again, adds to the rich mythology and makes you believe that this is real and you're in this other world. And they didn't have to do that, but they did. And I thought it really was effective. Among the uh, mythology surrounding this movie, these dark elves, obviously the main villain, Malekith, their leader, and just the armies that can comprise or that are comprised of the dark elves. Um, very interesting that they are they exist before time began essentially as, as uh they referred to them early on um they're creatures of the dark and then the story goes that the big bang as we know it that created the universe um brought into it stars and planets and light and essentially enemies for the dark elves because they want darkness they're dark elves uh so this is why malekith is so bent on destruction of the universe i i think they make him a pretty convincing villain no real redeeming qualities but occasionally it, it is nice to have the villain that like you don't have to feel sorry for at some point in the movie or um ultimately he's just bad to the bone similar to red skull of the first captain america film agreed yes yeah well when we're not in these other worlds we're back on Earth with 
Jane and Company, which is our fourth stone. They are more active in this film than they were in the last one. They were almost our conduits to understanding the greater worlds in the first film. And in this one, they really affect things. Like Jane is involved almost from the beginning. Darcy is clearly a better scientist and researcher this time around. Her going to Jane on her date, which, hold on. Jane is (laughs) seeing other people? Not cool. I know Thor's been gone a while, but... Gone for two years with no contact. <sighs> this is true. I guess I shouldn't hold it again. He should have sent says, a me- She says herself that you know she saw him flying around New York in the Battle of New York in Avengers, and he didn't call or didn't swing by and say hi. Not, not that he really had the opportunity to. You know, We know his side of the story, too. But from her point of view, uh, he said at the end of Thor that he'd, he'd come right back for her because there was trouble on Asgard, but... That trouble destroyed the Bifrost, and he had no way or a much more difficult time getting back to Earth, and obviously no phones that bridge the universe. So from her point of view, it's been two years, and she saw him flying around New York, and he didn't come say hi. This is true, but S.H.I.E.L.D. did move her when that was happening, so she was aware that he was looking after her during that time. And I think she could have deducted that since it was Loki leading the attack that maybe he had a responsibility to take care of some of the aftermath with Loki yeah. off world. But I see your point. I and I also think that this might be her first date after, you know, since since seeing Thor. So No, that's a good point. I, t- I take it back. Jane, see who you want to see. I was just hurt. I really liked them <laughs> as a couple. They're together in the end, right? They are, especially in the post post credit scene Post-post, confirmed. Yeah. You know, Thor back on Earth. Yep. Get a nice romantic kiss on the rooftop. But during the actual film, the group, you know, their tech saves the day at the end of the film. And while Jane is infected with the ether, she is, you know, still fighting it. You know, who knows if it would have grabbed a different host if the circumstances would have been the same. Yeah. You know, if they hadn't been as strong of a person. I enjoyed seeing the group being more active within the story. And I liked that Darcy, the intern, had an intern. Yes, that's great. Darcy is such a great comic relief in this movie. She's got all kinds of one-liners that just lighten the mood and are, are just great. They, they really speak to her personality and especially the fact that she gets her own intern. It's great. Speaking of Darcy, though, she also is kind of instrumental in, in the saving of Earth, and I think she gets no credit for it. She breaks eric or with ian the uh, her intern they break selvig out of the mental ward and i mean if that didn't happen i mean what <laughs> it's his spikes that are in lockup with him in uh the mental ward that save the day you're think, totally right i think darcy needs more credit underappreciated mm-hmm. darcy i liked the parallels when they were breaking out selvig they were also springing loki Back on Asgard, it was kind of these two groups Parallel. doing, yeah, these two groups doing what, paralleled, correct, yeah, 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 doing whatever they could to save the world. It was mm-hmm. nice balance there. Poor Selvig, though, I mean, clearly having issues since since having Loki inside his brain. You know, it's been roughly a year. You know, like the, I guess it's been roughly a year since the attack on New York, and so. Eric had been under control or at least influenced by Loki from the end of Thor, the first Thor movie, when we see the uh, post-credit scene. 
um, when Eric first is introduced to the Tesseract. And then then he's really under Loki's control once at the beginning of the Avengers movie, once uh, Loki pokes his chest with his magic staff. Right, in the same way that Hawkeye was. Right. But, you know, that raises the question, why didn't Hawkeye have lasting effects? Well, Hawkeye was pretty quickly... um, reconfigured in his brain uh you know with with black widow's help and selvig continued to be under loki's mind control for quite a while and it's really unclear how that mind control was broken maybe it's when the uh portal was closed or something or maybe they made loki do it once they captured him at the end of the avengers but regardless uh selvig had some lasting side effects and you can see him taking lots of medication to keep the craziness at bay and then he's our first uh, introduction to him in this movie is running around naked at Stonehenge so clearly not all there Um, but then at the end of the movie or midway through the movie he delivers the great line when he throws away his throws away his bag of medicine there's nothing like realize realizing the world is crazier than you are yeah I wrote that down as well my only question with that is why is shield not helping eric i would think that that would be a priority you know he was one of a few people that were clearly mind controlled by loki during the attack you would think that they would at least monitor him that's a good call i I didn't think about that and you're you're absolutely right shield should have at least been keeping tabs on him and like once he goes crazy and is streaking through stonehenge carrying this weird device you'd think shield would be involved at that point you would think that. And maybe I'm just thinking more that way because we're watching this first season of S.H.I.E.L.D. with these few films here. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a nitpick that I had. Yeah. Well, just a general nitpick for the whole movie is where the heck is S.H.I.E.L.D.? You know? Uh, Darcy does mention S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not returning her calls. And they're clearly absent in the battle at uh, Greenwich. Yeah, Greenwich. Yeah, notably absent in, in that battle. It's all Thor and his... Um, Jane Foster and the Scientist 3. <laughs> exactly. And that walks us nicely here to the fifth stone, which is a wiser Thor. Yeah, a lot of character growth between Thor 1, Avengers, and now this movie. Yeah, you really see it in, in Thor's interactions with Odin, too. Yeah, he has that really nice scene where Odin's like, you think me a piece of bread that you can butter up? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah, but he doesn't celebrate the victory when he brings the Nine Realms to peace. Uh, he's the one that comes up with the plan to defeat the Dark Elves, you know, while saving Asgardian lives. Yep. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Off-world. And at the end, he turns down being king, which in the first film was the only thing on his mind from what I could tell that. Well, yeah, we start off with rowdy. his coronation ceremony, you know? Right. Speaking of his plan to defeat the Dark Elves while saving Asgardian lives, it's a... a great parallel scene between Thor and Odin at the beginning of Thor 1 we see him campaigning for all-out war on the frost giants to destroy them all and we see Thor campaigning against that same idea when talking with Odin about defending Asgard because Thor asks Odin you know how many Asgardian lives need to be given for this for for this war and Odin snaps back as many as are needed kind of flipping roles there and, and showing really how Thor has grown and seemingly would be a worthy king. The one thing I would say to that is, do we know that that was Odin saying that to Thor? I think that there is a 
and we'll maybe talk about this a little bit more in the aftermath, but I think there was a slight tone change with Odin between the beginning of the film and when we see Jane on Asgard being operated on. He refers to her as a mortal. And in the beginning of the film, he is telling Loki that they are not gods, that they are born and they die the same as humans. And I thought that was a little bit of a conflict there. So I don't know if their conversations later in the film are truly Odin and Thor, or if it's Loki portraying Odin. Hmm, That's a good point. I think so. Well, clearly at the end, we see um, what appears to be <laughs> Loki in disguise uh, taking over. Um, so it's fairly clear at the end that Loki is acting as Odin, but you're right. It is unclear exactly when that, switch happened and you know it happens off screen we don't see a, a great battle between loki and odin so clearly Od- uh, loki has used some magic or trickery to make that happen but that's an interesting point about the the way that odin refers to jane as a mortal um he is quite demeaning to humans and jane in general humans in general and jane specifically i hadn't considered that it was loki speaking through odin uh, I always thought it was just because Odin doesn't want Thor to get attached to Jane because she'll die in you know 50 years or so, but Thor will live for another 4,000 or something, and he thinks his be- his time would be better spent focusing on uh, basically Lady Sif, but fo- focusing on a, an Asgardian love interest. I think they're definitely trying to frame it that way. I just had that in my notes that I picked up on that. But since we're kind of talking about it, let's go to our sixth stone, which is the aftermath. Loki is clearly portraying Odin. We don't know how long this has been happening. Aliens have come to Earth now for a second time within, you know, roughly a year span. How does the world react to this? You know, are people worried that this is just going to become a regular occurrence? And again, it's the Asgardians involved. Is there some sort of earth versus asgard like quit bringing your drama here (laughs) you know what is loki's next move frigga is now dead you know does thor stay on earth does he take jane back to asgard there's a lot of questions that i have and i'm excited to see what where the story goes from here yeah you're absolutely right the the aliens arriving on earth so soon is concerning at least from an earth's perspective um it's hard to say. We've already mentioned the the absence of shield. Uh, there are two like fighter jets coming through, um, p- participating in this battle, but no real uh, military presence that I rec- recognized. I think London or Greenwich is lucky that Thor was on the scene and dispatched the enemy so quickly. I mean, it's really just not a lot of time passes, right? Uh, from the ship arriving and Thor destroying them. Um, it's it's a big battle, fast and furious, but it's not lengthy, right? Right. Well, the convergence is a brief moment, so that kind of works accordingly. True, yeah. There's, they're, there's they're, a very small window for the Dark Elves to achieve their goal, so there's a small window for Thor. You're right, it, it is a quick battle, but it was a giant alien ship on Earth. I assume there's some sort of ramifications for that. Mm-hmm. And like the cleanup, like who's cleaning that up? <laughs> And I know you can't say too much here. This is more me 
speculating out loud. I These are just questions that I have that I'm excited to see what gets answered and where the stories go from here. Yeah, the next movies and even the shows that follow uh, really do tell the story of how Earth reacts um, to aliens coming a second time. But to be honest, I don't think the second time is not that important. The first time was important. Like we, That marks the time where we live in a new age now where these things exist and can happen. And um, maybe it's less surprising that now London is being attacked for some unknown reason. But Thor took care of it. So I guess some, some Earthlings can uh, rest easy with that thought that there is some, there are superpowered people or people seeking to protect Earth. Well, speaking of superpowers and heroes to protect Earth, we're going to get to our categories here in just a second. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They are ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. The Mammoth Ice Tusk is a stainless steel reusable beer chiller. It is the ultimate way to keep your long neck beer cold. Built with 18.8 kitchen grade stainless steel and insulated with high tech thermal gel, it keeps your beer cold for up to two plus hours on a single freeze. Here's how you use it. First, freeze the ice tusk for at least 45 minutes before using. Then take a sip off your beer to make room for it and then insert the tusk into the bottle and press firmly to create a tight seal. Then all you have to do is enjoy drinking that sweet ice cold beer. All Mammoth Coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com, that's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order and use the code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let Mammoth know you came from us. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, welcome back. Lucas, pick a power. Second time we've seen it, I gotta go with Heimdall's sight. What would you use that sight for? Just general seeing things. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I think it'd just be cool to be able to see everything... And I guess along with the sight or the, the actual vision power is the like mental capacity to process it all. You could also like perfectly time your run to the grocery store. You could see when it's at its least busyness and mm -hmm. get in and get out. Yep. That's a good point. Traffic jams, no longer a problem. That's a good call. What about you? The power I am going with is to be worthy of Mjolnir. Ooh, it's a big one. Just for like a day, I don't need it for life. I just kind of want to swing it around, fly, maybe like build a house or something with it. But the thing is cool. Man, build a house with, with Mjolnir. That would be, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, we talked about it on the last podcast or on one of them where I would have to build a tree house because you can fly with it. So that's the uh, real advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking like... Um... I don't know, just like a giant log cabin and you're just pounding trees into the ground for the structure. Mm, yeah, log cabin. I could build a lot of things if I had it. Although, you know, if I only had it for a day, I don't know if I'd want to spend the whole day building. But I would decide that on the day. Just go with the flow. 
Do you think that the uh, coat hanger in the in like I don't know whose apartment that is in Eric Selvig's apartment? Do you think that coat hanger is uh, worthy? You know, I think that Milner is exactly as heavy as it needs to be. Exactly. As somebody once told me. <laughs> no, the coat hanger is not worthy. Before anybody says that, <laughs> uh, who's the hero, or who's your hero? Hmm. I, I alluded to it earlier. I think Darcy doesn't get enough credit. She's the hero of at least of Earth in this movie. Without her, Earth's getting ransacked by those dark elves. Potentially, the whole universe being destroyed by the ether. But yeah, uh, Darcy for sure. Yeah, shout out Darcy. Along similar lines, I'm going with Jane. That Earth crew was just putting in work in this film. Mm-hmm. They're all heroes, really. Even the intern, intern. Uh, my name's Ian. <laughs> uh, where does this uh, unofficially rank for you? Okay. Yeah, at the top, I said uh, my preseason ranking was pretty low, 19 out of 23. Whoa, 19. I didn't know it was that low. Yeah. So I, I would attribute this low ranking to um, the rewatchability aspect. I haven't really watched this one as much as the others. Maybe I didn't love it the first time around or... You know, I'd just rather rewatch the first Thor or something if I'm going to rewatch a movie. Uh, so I just haven't spent as much time with it, I think. Um, my current ranking is still bottom half. It's five out of eight of the movies we've seen so far. But I don't know. It's definitely an improvement. Yeah, there's a chance that it could move up yeah. when this is all said and done. <laughs> okay. Well, I my unofficial rating for this film is I'm giving it a Sif and the Warriors three out of five. Putting one minute on the clock. What did we miss, Lucas? Go. Mm, right at the top of the film, we see that awesome battle scene where Thor swings his hammer and knocks the head off that stone guy, right? Mm-hmm. That battle is taking place on Vanaheim, which is Hogan's homeworld, one of the Warriors Three. Oh, interesting. Hey, did they replace... One of the guys from the Warriors 3, uh, yes. Fandral. Is that a different actor? It is a different actor. I liked both of them. So I did too. Maybe it's like a Howard Stark thing where it's just like, you know what? They both crush it. I'd be okay if either came back. I still think I'd prefer the first one, but uh, yeah. In my opinion, he just looks more the part. But uh, the second actor, well, the character in the second movie has a much bigger role compared to the first one so he has that great scene where he uh repels off of the ship and he's like for asgard <laughs> yeah kind of a kind of a robin hood move there absolutely yep and you know how much of a fan of robin hood i am as am i well i kind of chewed up your one minute but that's <laughs> the way it goes sometimes i want to thank everybody for listening if you have any questions or feedback send an email to hello at begonia.fm or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at FM. For our next episode, we will be returning to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This time, we're going to be watching episodes 8 through 15, including the 15th episode. I want to say a big thanks to Mammoth Coolers for sponsoring this episode. Lucas, take us out. Were those the car keys?
Okay, post-credit scenes. First post-credit scene, my live reaction, whoa! Oh yeah, um, this is the big one. Who, who's the collector? Let's talk about how you didn't actually watch it when you watched the movie. <laughs> Let's not talk about that, okay? I watched it before we recorded the episode. I'm up to date. <laughs> I just happened to skip to the very end to watch the other one. But, okay, in this one, in this first post credit scene that I missed the first time, we learn that the Tesseract is an Infinity Stone, and so is the Aether. And we meet this new, incredibly creepy man referred to as the Collector. Is there anything that you can tell me about this scene, or are you just mm. going to stay silent and say that is correct? Um, let me see. Well, first, that is correct. <laughs> Um, we do see, so the, the real part that I can't hundred percent talk about, but we can sort of talk about uh, around it is the fact that the collector says one down five to go. So now we know that there are six infinity stones and the collector is seeking them. Um, so does that mean the collector is going to try and steal the Tesseract from Asgard? Who knows? Where are the other four that we haven't seen yet? Uh, a lot of questions, but big implications for the future of the franchise here. Um, yeah, first of all, who the F is the Collector? Well, I mean, he's a he's a notable comic book character. He collects things. He's famous for having a collection of rare, powerful things. Um, you know, maybe he has some living things in cages, or maybe he just has like a museum Terrifying. for the ether. But yeah. Unknown at this point. Unknown at this point. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see what we learn about the collector as the films progress as well. The second scene, the second post-credit scene, I should say, yep, is Thor going to Earth, laying a smooch on Jane, and then we get to see that Jotun beast running around, <laughs> still looking incredibly adorable. Yes, this scene is called a thunderous kiss. I would imagine a kiss with chris hemsworth being thunderous well same with jane foster i mean natalie portman and i think uh i noticed that you had the question uh, earlier or you had a question in your notes that w what happens next in the aftermath is thor staying on asgard does he take jane back i think this scene conveys to us that after speaking with odin quote-unquote loki um at the end of the movie he now appears on earth I think that's meant to tell us that he's staying on Earth to be with Jane, at least for some amount of time. That's how I read it too, but sometimes duty calls. That's true. He could always be called back. I mean, Heimdall has uh, has the all-seeing eyes. That he does. You know, you said it was uh, Jane making the thunder, but maybe it's Thor's the thunder and Jane's the lightning. Could be. 